Welcome to the Next Gen Podcast. Stepping up to the microphone are your hosts, Bryson Wright and Alex Winton. They got next, so let's get to the show. Hello and welcome into the Next Gen Podcast here on the Bluff City Media Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Bryson Wright, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Winton. And we got to recap this last week of Grizzlies news. As the Grizzlies are now 2-9, and nine, some struggles, uh, one bright spot with that win against the Clippers and everything like that. Uh, but we really got to start with the beginning of, or like the last week since we've been on this podcast. And we got to start with that Jazz game. Because that Jazz game might have been one of the crazier games that we've had this season. Uh, really, just to get into it, the Grizzlies had some of their same issues in terms of like guarding the three-point line and stuff like that. But that wasn't the main takeaway from that game. The main takeaway was the refs and basically the Taylor Jenkins rant after the game, which I thought was pretty funny. Like, I thought it was funny. I thought it was good. Uh, him like sitting down and being like, you know, go ahead and saddle up or whatever he said. Uh, to I think it was like the Michael Cole who was sitting there. It's like y'all better record this and then call it the officials atrocious. Uh, and then talked about Jaron getting ejected, which I I didn't agree with the Jaron ejection ejection in that game. Uh, it was one of those things where like it felt like the Grizzlies were kind of dead in the water when that happened. Jaron definitely got fouled. He got mad at the ref. I think he probably did deserve a tech. Like, I wouldn't have been mad at him getting a tech. But for him to get ejected, I thought that was a little bit too far. But I, it did feel like it kind of gave the Grizzlies, like, a boost. Um, I feel like a lot of times when a player gets ejected, it really wasn't just the, the team, like, the team itself, but the fans really got, uh, really got a boost because the, it kind of felt like as much as the Grizzlies hadn't been playing well, it gave the fans uh, somebody – to actually get mad at besides the Grizzlies and get mad at the refs. And it felt like it really gave them a lot more energy and uh, really down the stretch. I don't think they could have had a chance to win that game, but they like, they've had this, they kind of had this pattern where they dig themselves into such big holes early. We, even if it's only like 10, 15 points when their offense right now, it's not in a good place to be able to overcome that. So in that Jazz game, they went down. I think they went down by over 20. And they came all the way back and even took the lead for a little bit. But it was just so much for them to get back. It's like you just can't go down by 10, 15, 20 and lose quarters by 20 points. And that's been their issue. They'll lose one quarter by like 20 points. And that's essentially the size of the game. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of how it felt in that Jazz game too. Uh, but I did. I, I, I like seeing Taylor Jenkins go after the refs a little bit. Honestly, it probably should have happened a little bit earlier. He's only really done that like one other time. Uh, so I'm glad to see him like try to stand up for his guys and stuff like that. Um, and I thought I thought that was I thought that was like the biggest, like the first big takeaway from like this last week. Uh, and then we can get into like the Lakers and Clippers games after that, too. Yeah, um, that was a real eventful game, uh, to say the least, at least from a, a refereeing standpoint. Because it did feel like just the flow of the game was never there, even though they were down and got back into the game. Like it felt like the flow was like all over the place, at least for like what two and a half quarters. I think Jaron got ejected in the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken. And so um that game was interesting. 
Um, they obviously, I think they made a change in the lineup, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the first game Gil, uh, Jacob Gilliard started, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, they had Gilliard, Smart, Bain, uh, Biombo, and Jaron out there. And, I mean, I think, again, I, I kind of get why they did that because, um, again, they wanted to see take Smart off the ball a little bit um, and not really have to make him make as many decisions. But in spite of that, I don't know if it really – I mean, it, it. I think it helped them flow a little bit more. But ultimately – the, uh, it didn't help the main thing, which I think part of the reason why they lost the game was just the shot making. I think the shot making still lacked in that game. I mean, they, they made 19 threes, but the, but again, as we talked about it the last couple of weeks, this is the timely ones. Um, because when they got when Jerry got ejected, they got back into that game and they were making timely shots to stay within the you know within like a couple of possessions here or there. But ultimately, they ended up losing. Because I think Roddy missed like two big threes wide open, and then I think Clarkson and I think maybe Lori Marketing came down on the other and hit two big ones. And that sometimes is just how it is. Like it's a make or miss league, and sometimes you know you miss a key, and then all wide open shots. And so uh, you know it was good to see them getting themselves the chance to win that game, especially considering how it started. Um, but I will say this about the refs one more time: is like you know it's a bad thing when Jaron gets ejected. Like Jaron never got ejected. Rarely gets a technical foul. Like even Jenkins was talking about it in a past press game or post game presser. Like Jaren's one of the most professional players. He doesn't really get mad about a lot. So like for him to get mad about the call, and again, most people saw like when they saw the initial call, they thought that was the only one. If people watched the possession before that, it was like a buildup of of things because Jaren got fouled the possession before by Kelly Olynyk, and they didn't call nothing. Then they come down to the other end again, and he gets a bucket, and they don't call nothing. So it was like a pent up type of thing and that kind of made him go overboard and get out the game um and again it happens i'm not really I, I personally wasn't mad at it because again like you said it should have happened sooner whether it's jenkins getting mad or jaron getting mad i feel like sometimes the refs don't I, don't give them the benefit of the doubt a lot of times especially i mean jaron um and so you know um i'm not really mad about either of them getting mad i like you said i found the jenkins post game press hilarious the saddle up the saddle up part of the the whole thing is the the funniest thing, especially after what he said, you know, because uh, he's just he's just all over the place, man. I, it was just so funny, man. See, watching that press conference, I just keep thinking about that. They some people even made shirts out of that press conference because of the quote, you know, the effing atrocious quote. That was so funny, very funny. But uh, yeah, it was a tough loss. But I mean, I, just the way how it started, I really can't be mad about the game. Like it was just because, they, like you said, they're not in a position to really had you know like i said margin of error slim so for them to even come back in that game was impressive and again you know they got to basically be perfect the whole rest of the game especially with no jaren uh because i think he had like 14 points at the time and it was on good efficiency so uh yeah it was just tough but i mean again um it happens you know you got to go on to the next i I do hate that we still have one at home that's the last thing i'll say hate that we still have one at home yet so yeah yeah that's that i think that's the worst thing is that both of their wins have been on the road which and like coming out off of last year where they were so awesome at home, had the best home record in the NBA. They got to get one at home at some point. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up next too, uh, which they might have a chance to get their first home dub coming up soon, but it's going to be a tough one. Cause I think they're playing, I think their next home game is against the Celtics. So like, that's that's a tough one to try to get the first win against. So we'll see if they can actually get that and see like who, who they actually are going to get that against. But, uh, yeah, so talking about that game, then the Clippers game, 
which we're going to get into some stuff about Jaron after this. Obviously, Jaron did not play really well in that Clippers game or that Lakers game. And we were going to talk a little bit more about that and some of the conversations have been surrounding that uh, as like a separate topic. But just to talk about that Clippers game at first, uh, I thought it was really interesting to see like Jacob Gilliard starting in that matchup against James Harden because you could argue that Jacob Gilliard might have actually outplayed James Harden in that game. Uh, if you talk about like an impact impact standpoint, which is kind of just wild to think about, uh, so shout out to him for that. Uh, but I did really enjoy the way that uh, Desmond Bain really played against the Clippers. I think that, uh, especially like down the stretch of that game, I thought he was pretty awesome. Uh, I feel like he did have not necessarily his best game shooting of all, but I think he did a good job of like when nobody else was really doing anything on offense he was like i'm going to like will this team to this win and i felt like he did a really good job of that ended up having 27 points six assists and i just feel like we're kind of seeing him like come into his own and i also will say uh it sucks that marcus smart is injured now and we're going to talk about that too but in that clippers game i felt like it was one of his best games as a Grizzly, not just because of his scoring. Like, I, I think he ended up with 17 points. But that last play that he made where he dove out on the floor and made, like, the backhanded pass to David Roddy was one of the best plays that I've seen all season from anybody. It was awesome to see that. So he might have made the biggest play of the game by doing that. Uh, and I felt like he did a really good job on defense and really being the defender that the Grizzlies have needed. Uh, in that game as well uh, but yeah it was good to see them get another win still hoping to see them get one at home at some point but uh, I think it also says a lot about the Clippers I, th- I don't think the Clippers have won since James Harden got there so it's looking like that's not going to work out very well for them either uh, so that's why I was like going into that game it was kind of like <laughs> I don't even want to say unstoppable force versus an immovable object because it's kind of like the opposite but it's like two and eight versus having one with Harden and it was like something's got to give or I guess they were one and eight at the time right it's like something's got to give and it wasn't the Grizzlies so the Grizzlies got the win and um I thought I thought it was a good ending to the game uh but like we're going to talk about they definitely needed more out of Jaron in these last two games and uh I also think that in that game I think we're kind of starting to see David Roddy start to come into his own a little bit more uh, I felt like in that game, he played really well, had a big offensive re- rebound down the stretch of that game, too, which was another one that might have been the play of the game between him and Marcus Smart. And he's also the one that finished that Marcus Smart assist as well. Uh, so I've liked what I've seen from him. So I wanted to give him a shout out for that. But, yeah, I'll, I'll let you talk about that game next, too. Yeah, disclaimer, I watched I, – I didn't get to watch the full game in its entirety. Um, I had to watch the highlights and then watch, like, clips here and there. I watched, But I watched the majority of it. And from what you said, it was very accurate for the most part. Another person I want to give a shout-out to really was Bismack Biombo. Uh, from what I watched, he was playing, like, out of his mind. He had a double-double, 13 and 12. But it seemed like he was making every big play, um, whether that was getting a big rebound or big stop. Um, I, was able to, I was able to really see that he was very impactful. And, again, I mean, shout-out to him because he's really been good. Like, I mean, Basically, had to play 30, 35 minutes most of these games now. And he he's came in, like, straight off of just, you know, working out and didn't have a training camp. So, obviously, want to give a salute to him. 
But like to your point about what uh, was going on, the thing about them is they got out to a decent start and kind of held on to the lead for the most part, which is kind of different. Uh, for the most part, either they're starting behind 20 or if they keep a lead, it's only for like a minute. But it seems like throughout most of the game, they had the lead. Um, and that granted, in the fourth, it got in the last like five, six, or like five to seven minutes. You know, Clippers took a lead at one point for a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that was a big game for them. Um, obviously, um, like you said, something had to give because obviously Harden and the uh, Clippers, they still haven't won a game um, with him there. And then on top of that, we were 1-8. And then on top of that, it was an early Sunday game. So I, I just had bad a bad feeling about it in that sense just because it's like, you know, early games like that, like, even, like you know, like afternoon tip-off, basically, I – for whatever reason, with the Grizzlies, I never liked them, just how they feel. I just never liked the feel of them. But I, they proved me wrong. You know what I mean? They, they, they proved my doubts a little bit wrong. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, obviously, again, Jaren's got to be better in that game. Um, but it seemed like that game was a defensive game anyway. So, it didn't – that bad Jaren game didn't hurt you as much because both teams really couldn't score. I mean, games 105 to 101, like, that's like a like our vintage – Mid two thousands type of score, you know, you, you usually see those scores in like the one twenties, one thirties. But um, yeah, no, I think Smart had a really good game. Like you said, that play uh, that assist he had to Roddy at the end was crazy. I saw that all on Twitter. Um, just how it happened was just it, it's it, it was it, it's it was just a funny play because you're like, oh no no, you're like, oh cool, oh wait no no no, oh yes, like that's basically how that play was to me when I saw it. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was a good game for them. Obviously, the Bills again, like they, 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 it seems like they, they, both of their wins have been on the road, which is pretty good to considering the circumstances last year. I mean, they haven't been a good team in general, but I mean, last year they were like bad on the road. And for me, uh, I don't, I don't want to say they've been better. I mean, obviously, they've been, I, to this point, they've been better on the road this season, but just this season compared to last year's season, it kind of, I don't know, kind of, I really don't worry about them too much on the road as much as I did last year. I feel like a lot of this has been more so as the struggles is the lack of talent versus the lack of – I mean, obviously there's more problems, but more so it's a lack of talent than I feel like a lack of focus and attention to detail. Um, but, I mean, I, I think they stepped up to the plate um, that Sunday game. So it was good to have that win, um, especially because, again, like I said, you got to start stringing games together because uh, it, it, you can't keep alternating one. You, you win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Like you need to try to get you a win streak soon. Um, that way, because again, we're creeping up. I think we got what 14 more games for John Morant's back, 14, 15 more games. So you got to find, you got to get yourself back into, and I granted, they're only, I think, three half games out the seventh seed basically right now. So it's not all bad. But again, every game matters in the West. How the West is looking, it you could you could be the second seed, the second seed to the eighth seed could be separated by one or two games. So every game matters. So I think they got to start stringing the games together. Uh, but you at this point, you'll take any win. Anything that can build their confidence, you'll take. So um, I'm glad they were able to win that game and pull it out. Yeah, no, I, I like what you said about <laughs> worrying about them on the road. I think the biggest thing is that you don't worry about them on the road. Like last year, it was like you only worried about road games. But now it's like I have an equal amount of worry about road and home games going into it. So it's like I don't think that them being on the road has been a difference because they've had the same struggles on the road and at home. You know what I mean? So it like hasn't really felt like as big of a difference as last year where it felt like there were some things that it's like they only show up on the road and then at home they look like one of the best teams in the NBA consistently. So 
it, it's just kind of weird to kind of see that change a little bit uh, and to see them get both of their wins on the road, despite all the struggles they've had. Like you would have expected them to pull out one of those games at home more than on the road. Uh, but then to kind of get into that Lakers game, it's just so clear. The Lakers are just a really bad matchup for the Grizzlies, especially as currently constructed without Ja, because basically the Lakers were just looking at when they're looking at that Grizzlies team, there is nobody that scares them off the dribble the way that John Morant does. So it's kind of like it gives Anthony Davis a chance to kind of just, you know, stay in the paint. He doesn't really have to help out on a lot of people. The Grizzlies haven't put a lot of pressure on the defense. So it just puts everybody at a disadvantage. And the way that they uh, really defended, I felt like they just came out and set the tone physically too. Like really, like from a physicality standpoint, the only players that really matched that physicality was, you know, Marcus Smart in the first eight minutes of that game. I thought he did a good job being physical and stuff like that on defense, and then he sprains his ankle. Uh, or I know they said they haven't officially said what it is, but it looked like a sprained ankle. He turned his ankle really badly, right? I think Desmond Bain came out, and he was ready for the physicality of the game. And I think he was also – um, like you saw with that whole play with AD and Santi when AD pushed Santi after Santi kind of bumped into him before that. So like they gave him double text. It was whatever. And then Bane kind of goes over to AD and kind of just tell him, you know, like, we're not we're like, we're not scared of you or I'm not scared of you. It doesn't matter. Uh, and I felt like he brought that energy uh, that the rest of the team needed. And I feel like uh, David Roddy did a good job of doing that, too. Uh, David Roddy did a good job of being physical, getting to the rim and stuff like that. He did a good job one time. He even attacked AD. I think he got fouled, but it looked like he was trying to dunk on him. You know what I mean? Like he was like, I like he was one of the, he he. I feel like he brought it that night. And then uh, Santi, which he had the points, but the beginning was just not good for him. He kind of picked it up in that third or fourth quarter, but it really felt like uh, they just got down by so much in that first quarter and it just really felt like they were just clawing their way back and they never really could they really just couldn't make they they couldn't make any way like they couldn't they couldn't come back it really I really felt like they didn't really cut into the lead it felt like once the Lakers kind of got that lead uh the Grizzlies even though in some of these games we they've made some what some people will call fake comebacks where they come back and then still lose they didn't even get one of those in that Lakers game uh so yeah that that was like I would say that was probably the toughest game and I think the reason why it felt even worse is because it kind of felt like it's the same thing that happened at the end of last season in game six, you know, it kind of uh, wasn't as bad in this game, but it's like, yeah, it kind of felt that same way watching the end of that game. So that's why I think the Lakers game was probably the one that was the toughest to watch. But also it's like, when you take everything into context with the injuries, obviously Marcus Smart going out during the game and Luke Kennard, not playing the second half definitely hurt them. But even when those guys were playing, they just didn't bring that physicality. Uh, and I feel like the Jaron and AD matchup, I think that's that's like the worst matchup for Jaron in the NBA. And I don't think it's really even close. Just because we know that Jaron is really good against players that are either bigger than him and too slow to guard him or players that are smaller than him and where he can really dominate on the interior. And Anthony Davis is neither of those. So like, they're going to have to figure out a way to get Jaron going when Anthony Davis is on the floor if they want to beat the Lakers, especially like even when Ja is back. They're going to have to find a way to do that. Yeah, um, I think that game was – I mean, again, there was a lot of outrage from that game, and I think a lot of it 
I want to say it's fake outrage because it's not. I think you should be critical of the team and all this. I think a lot of the outrage was because of how last season ended in L.A. And then you had this game. I won't say it had a similar feel to it, but obviously got away from them to a certain extent. Uh, I think that's where a lot of the comments came from. And so, you know, again, I think it's just, you know, I think folks felt like they got embarrassed and they got pumped. When, and to me, I, I just felt like they didn't have the talent. And like you said, it was a really the bad start. Because, again, I, I say it all the time. I'm, I'm going to keep saying it. Margin of error. Grizz have none. So they got to play. Like, they can't afford to have, you know, a bad Jaren game. Then on top of that, you have a, a smart go out. Then Luke go out at the same time. And then one of your bench players is not good and in terms of Santi. Santi was – he wasn't he wasn't good to start, but he picked up his game. Uh, well, the thing is the box score was good, but I felt like he had a slow start, um, especially early on. And then, like, with them being able to throw two uh, on the ball at Bane, you know, they didn't really – like you said before, they don't really respect anybody else from a perimeter scoring standpoint. Um, so, yeah, I just felt like they got behind too early and then, like, the, the come uh, – as I like to say, if you know, for all my gamblers in here or that listen to podcasts, I like to say teams like to cover the spread when they come back. Like that's what I mean by that. Like what you mean by fake comebacks? That's what I like to call it. They like to cover the spread uh, in terms of how many points they lose or win by. Uh, that's what the Grizzlies kind of did to, to a certain extent. Uh, but I mean, it's kind of you know, it it happens. I mean, I for me personally, that game was going to be tough anyway, just because it was. Uh, they they seemed almost struggle in LA, but the last I feel like last three, I because I think last year, yeah, last year and yeah, yeah, especially last year they just struggled in LA. The year prior to, they they did a decent job, but last year they really struggled to play in LA. So I didn't really expect them to win that game anyway. But obviously I felt like guys could have played better. But you know I'm not really losing sleep or anything or tripping over that loss. I just feel like the talent again. I keep saying they don't have enough their talent on the team is not enough. Uh, so, you know, they don't have no margin for error for whatever, whatever you want to call it, coaching mistakes or, you know, God playing under, under the level. Like they don't have that type of error. And that's what happened. They just got behind too early and they can never really get back into it. Um, Cause I think their best quarter was the third quarter, but by that time they're already down by like 20 points at that time. So it's just tough. Um, especially with, again, for Jaron with the, uh, the matchup to talk about Jaron is just, you know, Again, well, I guess we'll talk about it, the whole Twitter stuff they were talking about. I personally get if some player, you know, plays bad and he's the only reason they lost. But the whole team didn't really play that well when I look at the box score. I mean, your, your bench played well. Like, Aldama had 24, Roddy had 17, and uh, Tillman had 15. But a lot of that was in, like, garbage time. You know what I mean? So, or by the time the game was already over. So, um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah, but with Jaron, I think just, yeah, like the 80 matchup is tough. Like, just – from a and it's gonna be tough for them anyway. From the simple standpoint of what I've been saying, they don't have a lot of shooting. So the way they said that some of their lineups were set up, and it was like that in the playoffs. It was easier to guard Jaron and Ja, who like to not to say they can't shoot, because especially Jaron, but they like to get a lot of their points in the paint. And so when you can help off of people that are non-shooters, especially then on top of that, having a guy like AD who. Obviously, he hasn't won a defensive player of the year, but he's been an all-defensive guy first team and been one of the best defenders in the league when he's healthy. It makes his job a lot easier to have to just guard Jaron and then not have to worry about anybody else. Not only that, you can bring another help defender over there, and that's kind of what they were doing because there's a couple because they were doing that and also forcing him right to be uncomfortable. Um, 
And so, and uh, and then some of it was on Jaren. I felt some like you know some of the moves were kind of funky. Like he was just not looking to really score. Like he's trying to look for more contact than to score. Like trying to get a foul versus trying to just score through the contact. Um, so it was a little bit of both. But I mean, yeah, the, the matchups have been tough. But I mean, again, it's not like you know, like for me, it's not like Jaren has played bad against. Like you know, for me, it's not like Jaren's playing bad against like you know, like a scrub. Like it's, we're talking about Anthony Davis here. Like, and I know people try to say he had not played good against Anthony Davis. Please, y'all, y'all not, y'all not, we're not being serious. If y'all saying that, go look at the playoffs, play very, very well in game two, play very well in game five against Anthony Davis. And then in the regular season, had that dunk on him. I think it was that game in Memphis. And then I think, I can't remember the other game. I think he had like 25, I think it's in LA. Um, played pretty well against him too. So it's not like he has, it's just the last five, if you count playoffs, has been pretty rough. But again, you know, that's going to happen. Like, shout out to Sane because he was bringing it up on Twitter. Like, there's matchups where Bane and Josh struggle the same way. And, and it just happens. Like, whatever the game, it could be the team, it could be a player. Like, we saw it with, with Bane against the, the Heat, he said. Like, he even said, I remember when they played the Heat and he got locked up. And I won't say locked up, but he got – Jimmy Butler did a good job on him, right? And Jaron had a good game that game. But yet we don't get the same outrage or anything in criticism in the game when it's somebody else. So I just feel like, you know, again, like saying that you got to keep the same energy, but even then it's not really a bad thing. Like it's just, sometimes you just have bad matchups. Like not every player is good against all, all 30 teams. And if they are, that means they probably like Jokic or like LeBron, LeBron, like you, you, that means you like all time great type of thing. But usually there's always going to be a player or there's going to have, there's going to be a time where a player struggles against a team for a long stretch, whatever it may be, whatever the context is. And that's just what's happening with Jaren right now. Uh, and I think it'll turn around. I think obviously getting job back in that matchup helps him, um, just so because you don't have to depend on him to score as much. And then on top of that, that brings more attention to John Morant when he's in the game. So, and then if you know they make some trades here and there, which improves their floor spacing, you know, get some more shooting or some more league average shooting, that might help Jaron to attack the mismatches. Cause like you said about with the the like you know, just it's just a tough matchup. AD is like he can he 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 can do a lot. So. You know, I, I think it's just, you know, it's going to happen. So I'm not really worried about it, especially in that game, uh, you know, because um, I feel like everybody didn't play up to the standard. Jaron could have been better, but, yeah, I mean, the whole team could have been better. Like, So it's one of those games you kind of got to just look at the film and take it for what it is and, and move on. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you can't really mm-hmm. dwell on it too much. Yeah, and I think in that Lakers game, it did kind of show that I think the Lakers and Anthony Davis himself has – they. Not that they have figured Jaron out, like they figured out all the stuff he likes to do, and Anthony Davis is really good at taking all of that away. But it's also on Jaron to understand that, like, some of the stuff that works on other players is not going to work when you're playing somebody like Anthony Davis. Like, I always talk about Jaron, and, and Jaron talks about it too. He loves to do the big guard stuff, get the ball at the wing, and drive to the basket, do a Euro step, do all that kind of stuff, right? But that kind of stuff is not going to work as well when you're playing somebody like Anthony Davis. It's just that simple because of the level of defender he is. Uh, If you're finishing while you're still going away from the basket, that's going to be a block every time. you got to put your shoulder into him and try to finish true contact. Like That's the only way you're going to score on Anthony Davis. And in the games where he has done that, that's what he's done. He's gotten his shoulder into him and done some hook shots and then stuff like that. But the times when he hasn't played well, like you said, in these last five games, he's been trying to do a lot of that, trying to go around Anthony Davis. And 
because Anthony Davis is he, he he's a little bit bigger than him, and I'd say he's probably a little bit slower than Jaron. But the thing is, he has that recovery speed. He has super long arms and everything like that to where even if you think you've gotten past him, he can just recover super fast. And I think that's kind of what you saw uh, in that game. And, yeah, just Jaron, as he is right now, like he's not ready for the physicality of that matchup that like the way that Anthony Davis was. Uh, and then it's the same way. And like you said, every every player has issues like that. Because you talk about Jaron with Anthony Davis, yes, that's a bad matchup for him. But then the very next night, you watch Anthony Davis, and he's now 0-8 versus Sabonis. You know what I mean? So it's like everybody has those matchups that just aren't good for them, and I feel like that was the thing for Jaron against the Lakers. It's just AD is just a horrible matchup for him, right? Now, I will say the Clippers game is the one that was – like that, that one concerned me a little bit more just because he was going against Zubak, and I feel like that's the kind of player that he should be able to play against. And the Clippers don't really have a lot of rim protection or anything like that, and it just really felt like he got some good looks. He was just missing a bunch of shots. And, you know, I like some of the looks he got, but then it kind of felt like once he missed a couple shots, he started going away from it. Like he starts going away from the things that – he does when he's dominant in these games. So he might come out and he'll miss a couple hook shots and okay, now he thinks I have to, I now I have to go and I have to do a Euro step and I'm off balance and I fit, I'm finishing going away from the basket instead of finishing through contact. And I feel like he falls back on that when he starts games and he isn't having a good game. He starts to try to fall back on that when he really should in those games, if he's not playing well, is that's when you should look to get him the ball more inside and get him some easy looks and stuff like that. Whereas now I feel like whenever stuff isn't working, okay, so instead of that, I'm going to try to do some drives or I'm going to stay out around the perimeter and shoot threes and stuff like that, which is stuff that he can do. And I think that on the season, he has been a little bit better from three besides these last two games. I think these last two games brought his percentages down a little bit, but he had been shooting pretty well from three so far this year. Uh, but that's still not what you want him to be focused on. Like that's not, that shouldn't be his main focus. Uh, and I do, like I said, I think it's partly uh, on the coaching staff to find better ways to get him the ball and also the guards to find him when he's open. Because I mean, we've seen it in the last couple of years where there have been times where he sealed off his defender or where he's open in the paint and guys haven't given him the ball. So I, I think there's a lot of different reasons for why some of these struggles happened. Uh, I I think that he like he's gonna have to be better though. Like that's that's the that's the end of the story. Like he's gonna have to be better than he was in these last two games. Your bad game cannot be three for fifteen or three for sixteen when the team is already down so many players. When John Morant is suspended and stuff like that. Like if Jaron Jackson Jr. goes three for fifteen, the Grizzlies are not gonna win. Like it's just that simple, right? Uh, most times. Right. I know in that Clippers game, it was an outlier, but I mean, the Clippers with Harden have just been horrible. You know what I mean? So, like, I think they did end up winning that game, but they almost lost that game when they had full control over that. And it's like if you if you just have a medium level game from Jaron, it's not close at the end of the game. You know what I mean? So they're not going to win many games when Jaron is shooting the way he has the last two games. I know they did end up winning that Clippers game, but. That's just it's not sustainable. So he's gonna have to be better if the Grizzlies want to string some wins together here and try to make it at least a salvageable season when Ja comes back. 
like he's going to have to be better than he was these last two games. We're going to have to see more of what we saw like the previous five games before that, where he was averaging like, and, and that's the thing why, and I think that's the reason why sometimes I do get angry at some of the narratives around Jaron, because when he has the good games, people are just like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then he has two bad games and all of a sudden everybody's jumping back on this. Uh, uh, Jaron's got to do this and Jaron's got to do that. Like, whereas somebody like, like I look at this stuff and I'm like, there are things I want Jaron to get better, even when he has these 30 point games, like a bad night is not going to change what I think about Jaron completely the way that I feel like it does for a lot of people. Uh, so yeah, but I feel like he's definitely got, he, like, like I said, he's got to be better than he has been the last two games, but it's not like he's never been better than he was the last two games. Like these two games are the outlier, not the other way around. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not worried about Jaren. I mean, if you think, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I got the numbers up in front of me. If you think Jaren Jackson Jr. is going to be 30% from the field, 18% from the three over a course of an 82 game series or a series season, like, come on. Like, based on law of averages, he's going to be better. Like, bad stretches happen. Like, we're going to have a bad stretch with Bain. Bain has had a couple bad games before, like, like even during the season. Like, it's happened in the small sample size. Like, it happened. Um, but again, I think Jaren, you know, I guess Jaren triggers a lot more people. I don't know. I guess, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the talk was just uh, some of it was valid in terms of what was said, at least on Twitter. But some of it to me is just goofy, respectfully, just to be honest, like a lot of it is um, just cause like you said, it's like, you, you, you know, you're very quiet when you talk about him or like when he has a good game or like I said, like the Miami game where he was going right at Bam. Um, and it's crickets, but then as soon as he has a bad game, it's like, okay, are we hearing this, this and this and that? Like, again, it's about just keeping the same energy. If you're gonna, like, I'm here for the criticism, but like, keep that criticism for everybody, not just one person in particular, especially it'd be different. Like, I said earlier, if it was like he was the main reason we lost that game, like, if, you, if everybody else played well and he lost the game or he, he was bad, like, oh, yeah, you know, he's got to be better. Like, that Clippers game for the most part, if he if he would have, if they would have lost that game, that probably most of the blame would have been on him because he needs to be better. But like the Lakers game, like like I, I I hate to be this way, but like watch the game and look at the box score. Like I don't think I, uh, he could have been better. Trust, but like that whole team, the whole team could have been better. Like it wasn't like just Jaren was the only reason we lost. Like Bain was only, the, I mean, uh, Bain was efficient, but he only had 15 points. I mean, Smart got hurt. That can't be helped. You know what I mean? Like that that happens. Like, you know, injuries happen. Luke got hurt. But shoot, Bismuth Bianco could have been better a little bit. You know, Gillian gave you nine points. Like, I mean, the bench gave you some points, but again, that was like garbage time. Like early in the game, they couldn't hit shots if, if they saved a lot. Like Roddy shot 25% from three. Zaire shot 29% from three. You know, like people, they gotta be better. Everybody gotta be better. You know, Bane can only get 15 points in a game. Like Bane's gotta Bane's gotta at least get 20. Um, especially because as God being the main guy, go to guy. So you know, I just think some of it's just, you know, I, again, I always say it. And, th- and this, when you're losing, people got to find somebody to be a scapegoat, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the players. Now, again, I've been said this. I think a lot of people are scapegoating the wrong people. We need to be mad at the people that are not having the jerseys on right now instead of the people that are. Not to say that the people that are playing and coaching are not at blame. They got blame in this. Trust. Jenkins, could Jenkins be better in terms of then getting him to guard the three? Absolutely. Can he not have some question for rotations? Yes. Can Jaron be better and not be more offensively consistent? Yes. 
But a lot of this comes to what I keep saying, the talent on this roster outside of your best players. They just don't have the talent for the margin of error. Like, they just have the talent, and their margin of error is slim because of that. And so they got to basically play perfect in a lot of these games just to have a chance to win these games. And then if anything goes outside of that, where, like, the outlier, whether it's the bad Jaren game or somebody gets hurt like they did in this game, two people, then it's hard to overcome that. So um, I think a lot of criticism should go that way, not to say they're, you know, Again, the players shouldn't get any criticism, but I think, again, they're not the main issue. So, um, you know, they're doing what they can. Again, I'm not trying to give them no, uh, you know, excuse, you know, trying to make too many excuses for him. Like, Jaren's an all-star. Like, he needs to be better. But just think about it. Like I just said with the numbers. Like, do you think Jaren – if you really think Jaren's going to be 30% from the field and 18% from three over an 82-game season, with, or really 70 now, with I think he's played 11 games. From, it's like 70-something games left. If you really think he's gonna be that bad, only averaging eleven points too, then more power to you. Then I'm just not gonna to talk to you. But I don't, I don't think that's the case. Like this is the season; it's up and down. It's a long season for a reason. It's an 82 game season for a reason. You got a lot of highs, you got a lot of lows. Whether that's as a team or as a player, part of it, it's part of the, it's part of the journey. That's why it's called the 82 games. That's why they have these seasons. It's all ups and downs. So he'll be fine. Trust. I don't know. We've seen this before. We've seen this before with all our players, that our best players at least. Jaja and Bain, they've had bad stretches. Okay, it happens. Move on. You know what I mean? Like he's not gonna be this bad. Like I, I promise you, he won't. I, I can I can almost guarantee it. If you think he's gonna be this bad, okay, I'm just not even gonna talk to you. But I, I, I mean, I know I know you don't, Bryson. But I'm talking about just in general. But yeah. So yeah, I, for sure. Now I guess Yeah, no, I'm with you. And it's gonna be interesting because this next matchup that he has. Is one I've been looking forward to for a minute because we're gonna get the Jaren versus Wimbanyama matchup, and it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how it goes. Uh, obviously, not to obviously we don't talk about it much on this because this is a Grizzlies focused podcast. But getting to watch, I got to watch Wimbanyama in person at summer league and everything. Got to see both of his games, and I think it's gonna be an interesting kind of challenge for Jaren because. So much of the times, if he's guarding another four, you know, he's kind of more roaming off of them and stuff like that. So I'll actually see if they'll change it up and see if he'll actually get that one-on-one matchup or if they're going to change it a little bit. But I think it's one of the matchups where since Wimby is also playing the four, it almost makes you have to do that unless you want to put Biombo on Wimby uh, and then put Jaron on. I think they have Zach Collins playing the five and stuff like that uh, the last time I checked. So and then have him maybe roam off of him and see what happens. But the basketball fan in me just really wants to see this Jaron Jackson Jr. versus Victor Wimbanyama matchup uh, just because of obviously as good of a player as Wimbanyama is and stuff like that, uh, basically being like something we've never seen before. Uh, getting a chance to see that versus Jaron just winning defensive player of the year coming off of this tough stretch to see if he can try to bounce back against a, another player who – is also a really good defender as well, and is gonna give you not maybe not the same issues as AD because he's not as physical, but from like a length and athleticism standpoint, he gives you some of those same issues. So see how Jaron can actually try to bounce back against a player like that. But I'm really excited to see this matchup after seeing him in summer league, uh, like seeing Victor Wembanyama in summer league. This is something I've been thinking about. Since then, it's like, dude, when we finally get that first Wimby versus Jaren matchup, it's going to be awesome. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. 
coming up this this uh, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, um, they got a. I think if I'm not mistaken, it's a back to back. Um, so, but they've had what like three or four days off. So, uh, yeah, no, it'd be fun. Um, obviously, like you said, this is a Grizzly focused podcast. But like, I mean, I watch the NBA. Obviously, I'm a I'm a basketball fan as well. Like that's what I started at. So like, I'm always gonna love the game. So I'm watching every other team. So, uh, yeah, I've watched a lot of Spurs games off the simple fact of Victor Wembanyama's playing. Um. And again, he does a lot of stuff that's just funny. You just got to laugh at. Like, he's not really a real person to me. Like, I, I keep saying that. I know, obviously, technically, he is a real if person. If I hadn't seen – hey, if I hadn't seen him in person, I wouldn't think he was real either. Like, honestly. Yeah. Like, if I yeah, hadn't like, been, like, a few feet away from him, I would have been like, nah, there's – there's this is just a YouTube – This somebody made this made this up. This is CGI. Like, it has that's to be – Exactly. That's what I'm saying, bro. Like, he, he's not a real dude to me. Um, but yeah, no, he, he does a lot of stuff that, you know, you're like, okay, what, like, like, what the heck? Like, that doesn't make sense. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know what to expect. I mean, I know he'll have like probably a couple plays like that where he'll make Jaron or somebody look cr- kind of crazy. And that happened to hit, like, I'm pretty sure, I think he played against Bam and even though Bam had a good game, there are a couple plays where he made Bam look like very small. Like, <laughs> it's just very funny. Um, I think, he, I think he blocked Jimmy one time and then got it. And I think he, or like he, I think he got blocked it, gave it to somebody else, then ran down the court, got like a dunk. It was something crazy, bro. Like it's it's ridiculous, bro. The stuff he does. So it'll be an interesting matchup, like you said. They play him at the four or the five, like him and Zach Collins. I think it's just interchangeable. Uh, so I mean, I don't know if Jaren will guard him. I think he probably will. I wouldn't be surprised if they put Bismack on him just so Jaren doesn't get the foul trouble. Because again, I do think Wimby could, I won't say put him in foul trouble, but. You know, there's a chance, especially as a, you know, they might use Wimby as a lob threat. But also, you know, it just, it, it could be hit or miss because the Spurs are a rebuilding team. So there are times where Wimby will look like 20 and 10. Because again, even to your point about Jaren earlier about getting the ball, it's, this is the case for any bigs. If you're not really Jokic or like maybe Embiid, history shown your, your bigs are at the mercy of the guards. Like your guards or your, wing players can't throw entry passes or get them the ball offensively they're just not going to be as effective like that's just the name of the game like you got to get them the ball and so entry passing has been a lost art in today's game so that's why people watch the games and be like why this player or this big man didn't have as many points well did you watch the game they're probably not getting him the ball they're not throwing him in he's sealing off and teams can't just can't get them or their teammates can't get on the ball whether that's on you know from the wing or from the top of key like it doesn't matter or they're not making trying to find, you know, make an effort to for them to be found, especially in today's game where it's a perimeter game. And a lot of these guys, some of these guys need to get post touches because they're not as perimeter, perimeter oriented. So, you know, um, and that's what happens with Wimby. Like sometimes they'll, they'll miss him and they'll not find him. So, you know, we could use that to our advantage, uh, depending on who they play. I mean, they'll have Sohan out there, obviously, as the point guard. So, you know, they could try to speed him up a little bit more or, you know, something along those lines. But you know, it'd be an interesting matchup. I mean, again, I like to see Jaren against these type of bigs. I, I'm ready to see him against Wimby. I'm ready to see him against Chet, like those type of bigs. Uh, you know, because these guys are the future. Like, these guys are all like – well, Jaren's obviously older. He's 24. But, like, a lot of these guys are going to be playing against each other for the next, like, five to eight years. You know what I mean? And they all – I'm not going to say they're all unicorn. They're all unique in their own skill set. But they're, they're all versatile. So, you know, I, I think that's going to really show in these matchups. So, um. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I, I, you know, I hope they play. I hope they have a good. You know, I hope Jaren plays well. But I hope we just win. That's what I hope for. Can we just win? Again, can we? Can we start 
a win streak. I'm like I said, I'm tired of these alternate alternating games. Can we get a win? If we can get a good win streak going, I'll be happy. That that's really what I care about. Can we can we string some games together? If we can do that, then I'm like, okay. So hopefully, you know, regardless of the outcome of that matchup, I hope we win. So yeah, but I am excited to see it though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I, obviously I feel the same way. Uh, but I did want to get to one last topic before we do close, and that is going to be kind of the roster crunch that we have for the Grizzlies. So if you didn't hear today, the Grizzlies now also have a disabled player exception since Steven Adams is not going back this season, worth about $6.3 million. If you don't know what that means, it doesn't grant them an extra roster spot, but it does give them a little bit more cap help for if they did need to sign somebody else to the roster, they would have an extra $6 million, basically, extra $6 million. The only issue for the Grizzlies right now is not only do they not have an open roster spot, they're actually one over the limit because they signed Bismack Biombo using the exception that they got from the John Morant suspension and the suspended player uh, exception. So that means that when John Morant comes back, they're going to have too many people on the roster. So that means either somebody has to get waived or somebody has to be in a consolidation trade when Ja comes back. Now, the reason why I mentioned that uh, disabled player exception is because if they do do a consolidation trade, which maybe includes two or three players to get back one player, they could then sign another player using that disabled player exception. Uh, Either somebody, uh, if they want to sign somebody just that's just a free agent right now, or if they want to find somebody that's on the buyout market or something like that later in the season, if they have that open roster spot or like closer to the trade deadline and stuff like that, maybe somebody gets traded, they get bought out, you can sign somebody. Uh, and that can actually give them an advantage over teams that maybe would only be able to offer the vet minimum to somebody like that, where you have $6 million where you would be able to offer them that, uh, which is obviously more than the vet minimum. So. I think it's something that could be interesting. It's not something I'm expecting the Grizzlies to use right now in terms of that disabled player exception. But the biggest thing that uh, for me is that I I I, I doubt that they're going to waive anybody. I feel like if they're going to open up this roster spot, it's probably going to be in a trade. Uh, and if it was for me, it would be to see if you can get a trade for a veteran wing guy that can either come off the bench uh, for – like we're not really sure exactly what's going on with Marcus Smart, but regardless of Marcus Smart is going to be in that starting lineup, I think you still need another veteran wing guy just because none of the young wings have really seemed like they've taken that next step. Whereas Roddy, I think Roddy's been the best out of all of them compared to Zaire and Laravia. I think Roddy has been the best so far this season, but he's still a little bit undersized. So if there is a way that you can get like a veteran wing guy, like I, it's probably going to be tough, but a guy like, like a Dorian Finney-Smith, somebody like that, you know what I mean? Just somebody of that level, I could see them do that. Uh, and maybe you end up using that player, uh, that disabled player exception. You also have a trade exception from the Dylan Brooks deal that you can use. So it's just like there's a lot of little like nuancy things they could do uh, to try to improve this roster, if not at the trade deadline, like heading into like the second half of the season. Uh, so it's just something that I keep I keep a watch on to see exactly how they're gonna navigate this. First off, I want to start by saying this. Shout out to Bryson for saying Dorian Finney Smith. Listen, that that listen, this is why we're on the, this is this is why we here. This, we on the same wavelength. I've been said Dorian, you know, I don't know if, if y'all listen to the pod during the summer. I've been said to get Dorian Finney Smith. 
I'm gonna keep saying it. Get Dorian Finney Smith. I don't know how, do it. I don't care. Oh, let me, I'm not gonna say don't care how. I wanna go the whole house for him, but get him. I've been said it. Dorian, I would love to get Dorian Finney Smith, but in all seriousness, I think uh with the whole exception thing, I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna use it. I, I doubt they use it. I personally think they I know you said they don't mind that wave nobody. I personally don't wave somebody. I think uh if they're gonna have if they're gonna wave somebody, it'd probably be Lofton just off of the simple fact of his second year on his contract is not guaranteed, if I'm not mistaken. And then everybody else was either on like a rookie contract or like a, a deal that's longer than one year. Maybe or either the one year is like a, a expiring like big salary or they're on a you know extended deal. Like if because I can go down and listen line, like Lucas got a player out or yeah, I think a player no, he's got a team option on his deal. Smart's under contract for like two more years. Clark's under contract for years. We just signed Bismack Biombo, so they're not I, I think he's played well enough to stay. Jake, Roddy, Zaire still on rookie deals. Santi's on a rookie deal. So like just you you know, you just gotta do the numbers. And when you look at it, it's like the odd man out type of thing. Not getting a lot of rotation minutes. He wasn't getting a lot of rotation minutes before Biombo got here. Now Biombo's here and he's not getting any. Then X came back into the picture and he was starting. So you get what I'm saying? Like, ah right, man, if they gotta do that, that's what I see personally. Um, it's just you know, that's just how the business works sometimes. You know, then then you know, with the numbers and stuff like that, that's just how it goes. But if they want to use it for like uh, what you said to get a wing, they could do that. Like they could do a two for one. Or they could do another deal where it's like, you know, they're part of a third, you know, a third team. Like, you know, they're two other teams and they're like third team. Like, they could do something like that. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think any – even if they did anything, I don't think any of that happens till like, January or anything because you don't want to make trades too early. Like, there's a certain, you know. Yeah, Cause again, I agree with that. Yeah, because teams, you know, because, you know, teams – uh, shout out to my boy Parker. I don't know if he said I, I shout out to my boy Parker Fleming. He I think he said this earlier, but like it's just something about like team. You don't want to give teams like or you don't want to make a trade too early in the season because teams can sense like desperation, especially for a team that's two and nine. You don't want to like teams are knowing you're trying to make deals because your team is in a bad spot. Whereas at the deadline, everybody's trying to make trades, so you know the deal might be totally different in a month versus what you could get right now. And I know people are like, you need to make a deal move now. And I mean, yeah, you can. But I think also they're thinking is to a certain extent, like they probably want to get just job back and see how he fits into the fold. You know what I mean? Regardless of how what the record is, it's like get job back and see how he fits with the group uh, to see what moves need to be kind of made. And again, you're not always going to be whole. Like, I don't expect that. Like, I think that's a, you know, everyone's like, oh, you wait till they get healthy. You're never fully healthy. But if you can get your best three players healthy at the same time on the floor, that's what I would like to see. Uh, and and then you probably make moves from there. But if I had to say the most immediate move is probably just cutting Lofton, just how the numbers are. But I could see them make a trade, but I don't know what that trade would be. Because again, I know some people are talking about Jacob Gilliard trying to get a spot if he plays, continues to play well. Like you know, people are talking about the D Rose conversation and would they trade him? Would they cut him? And I'm just like, I don't know. Like who knows with that? Because you know, two ways only get a certain amount of games and days with the main roster. So um, you know. So that would be interesting to see, especially if the guys don't come back soon, especially with the smart out, out now. D. Rose is still out. You know, you I don't know how, again, I don't know how many days of games he can play, but, like, you know, it's not 82. So, you know, you got to figure out something sooner than later. But, um, yeah, I think they're working, but I think they're just being patient. Again, you know, they're in a bad – they're in a 
not the, not the most ideal spot from a roster construction standpoint, but it's not not all is lost because again, I keep saying their best players are 25, the other two are 24. Like all can be fixed within the offseason. It's not like their whole roster is bad, but majority, you know, it does need some re- retool and reconstruction. Uh, so you know, I think they'll get to it. I think they realize that they. I don't think they're just sitting here seeing that they're two and nine and saying, "Oh, they don't need to make any moves." Like you're two and nine for a reason. You know what I mean? And so, uh, yeah, Zach will get it together. Hopefully, um, you know, listen, I, if not, I'm going to continue to keep talking about him on Twitter um, and on here. Uh, I will continue to keep the energy up because, um, again, and also job. But I mean, he'll be back in 14 games, but I, we won't see Zach come and put a jersey on. He's not a basketball player. He's a GM. So I'm going to continue to keep calling Zach out. If he, if he hears this, please do your job. That's all I care about. So, um, yeah, they'll get it figured out. They'll get it figured out. Do your job. No, that's real. That's real. That's real right there. Uh, but I, I, I will say I agree with what you said about them probably not making a deal yet. The only thing that I could see is if the Chicago Bulls have a fire sale and they just are like, we're clearing house next week. Because it seems like like all the rumors and stuff that I'm hearing. Listen, if you can get an Alex Caruso, hey. I'm there. Like, that's where I'm at. You can get an Alex Caruso. Shoot, I'd even look at Patrick Williams. He's not having a good season, but dang, he's 6'8". You know what I mean? Like, you can throw him out there and see. Like, he, this is, look, trade, he's at the lowest he's going to be. So it's like, if there's a fire sale or something like that, and there's a deal that comes up, hey, look, I'm with it. Uh, I know it's early, but I would not be opposed to it if it gets you a guy like Alex Caruso. Like, I'd be fine with that. So. Yeah, like th- th- there's a th- there's a couple situations where I could see them maybe making a move, maybe getting into like a third team on one of these deals if something like that happens. And it might even just be to pick up, you know, a pick or something like that. You never know. But I feel like whenever these last couple of years, whenever there have been these trades where it might be, you know, two or th- like a three or four team trades, you might see, oh, the Grizzlies are going to take on this guy and they're going to get a pick. Like you go back to the Andre Guadala thing. They got a pick to bring him in and stuff like that. Uh, and maybe they do something like that for this as well. Uh, so not 100% sure what they're going to do, but I do think that if something does happen and the Bulls just completely blow it up, I could see them going after a guy like that. Uh, obviously, you would also say, what if they look at like DeMar DeRozan? I feel like that's, that's probably out of the question. Uh, I don't think that a guy like that is the level of player they're going to be able to get on the like, – when it comes to trade, I mean, if you can, I wouldn't be opposed to it completely, but I'm just not really expecting it. Uh, but, yeah, I think that would be, like, the only difference in terms of, you know, trading for somebody early would be a situation like that. Yeah. Um, Bryce are funny, man. Bryce, Patrick Williams, listen, I get it. Listen, listen, the Grizz, Grizz down bad. So, a lot. Of, listen, you're probably not the only person thinking that. There's a lot of people probably like Patrick Williams, Alex Caruso, anybody. Anybody that's an NBA player, legit NBA player that's had some years. Well, you know, it was all, especially with all these injuries, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like you just you really just need bodies out there at some point. Uh, obviously, you want, like, players that can also affect winning too. But it's like at some point when you keep looking at the injury report and there's all these guys, it's like you just need more quality players or guys that can at least go out there and give you real minutes that aren't on two-way contracts. So I, that's really the issue right now. Yeah, yeah. Listen, the injury report—they they use the notes, the, the notes page app on the on the iPhone for injury report. That's how you know it's bad. 
they, they, when they got to do that, they 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 going past the characters, man. You know it's bad. So yeah, I get it, I understand. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- again, I I don't think Zach is sitting here and doesn't see that they can't or they don't need to make a move. Like there, something will happen, whether it's in the trade deadline or the off season. Something's gonna happen. I mean, off season is far away, but you get what I'm saying. Like something will happen. Just I don't know what. At least for the immediate, I don't know. I think they're just gonna bank on job being back. And getting guys healthy, um, you know, like getting, you know, getting Luke healthy, getting Santi, or not Santi, getting um, Smart healthy. I think those both of those guys really, you know, those, up, you know, again, it sounds kind of hopeful because I, I think if Clim, or not Clim, uh Jenkins said basically I think Luke is day-to-day and Smart needs more reevaluation. And I think Rose will be back soon. So that's that's good. But, again, you know, that can mean anything. Day-to-day could mean he could be back, like, you know, Sunday. Or he could be back in two weeks. Like, well, who knows? So I think they'll bank on guys getting healthy again and just keep, you know, trying to improve. But yeah, I, I mean, they they will have to make a move at some point just because of how the numbers are. But you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, I mean, I, you know, I know something will happen. I just don't know when. So I'm interested to see though. Yeah, for sure. And like I always say, I appreciate everybody who's made it to the end of this episode of the Next Gen Podcast here on the Bluff City Podcast Network. A longer episode today, had a lot of good stuff to talk about. As always, I was joined by my co-host, Alex Winton. I'm Bryson Wright, and we will see y'all on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Next Gen Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a like and a comment wherever you download your podcasts. Head over to www.bluffcitymedia.co where you will find comprehensive coverage of all things Memphis sports and how you can become an insider. We'll see you back here next time.